This is Juliana Corver, and you're listening to Running It with Nate Sexton. Running It with Nate Sexton is brought to you in part by Innova Champion Discs, the choice of champions. Hello, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is professional disc golf athlete, 60% of the Big Sexy commentary team, and a man who has stolen the hearts of Malaysian podcast listeners everywhere, my friend, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing tonight, man? Don't tell me we're up to number two in Malaysia. Dude, we're making moves in Malaysia. It's I'm I I get these Malaysian comments all the time. Um, I, I we we might be getting statues there soon. All right, I I can I love it. Great man, I'm I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm doing all right. I uh, I may actually have uh, have disc golfed myself out the last three days. I've played like seven rounds in the last three days. I can't feel my right arm, so um, I'm ready to talk some disc golf. But I don't know. I, it's going to be a while before I'm ready to play any more disc golf. <laughs> oh, you're crushing uh, me! I, I got out for a round today. It was fun. I got a I got a nice eagle on the 18th. You got to love an eagle. So that I left on a high note. Oh, God, leaving the eagle on 18 is a, is a beautiful thing. Uh, got a little bad news today. Uh, the Beaver State fling, that's a no go for this year. And that was really kind of a disappointment because I was looking to get, I was looking forward to, uh, to getting out to Portland and seeing some friends and family and, uh, and watching you play out at Milo. And doesn't look like that's going to happen in 2021. Yeah. I mean, you still got the Portland open, thankfully. I mean, what a, what a, a embarrassment of riches for that. For Portland to have two Elite Series events uh, right in a row. So, luckily, the tour is still coming to town. But, sadly, I think a favorite event for a ton of players. Uh, no Beaver State Fling due to storm damage and COVID-related uncertainty. So, that's too bad. Two years in a row now we've missed that event. Blasted COVID. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll be back in uh, 2022. All right, Nate. Now, before we get to another amazing chat here, I want to let everybody know about our friends over at FisherDiscGolf.com. Those of you who have listened to the show before know that FisherDiscGolf.com is the official retail sponsor of Running It with Nate Sexton. Guys, if you haven't been over to their website, go ahead and check them out right now. If you have been on the Fisher Disc Golf website, go check them out again because they're constantly adding new things, new plastic, new apparel, teaming up with new brands. Uh, it's just a, a really amazing website. Levi and Adam are doing a great job out there. We're looking forward to having uh, Fisher team member Clint Calvin on the show in the future. I know he's got a busy schedule, but we're trying to get that set up so he could talk to us a little bit about what he's got going on. FisherDiscGolf.com. One of the best ways to support running it with Nate Sexton is to support our sponsors. Check out FisherDiscGolf.com. Don't forget about Disc Stacks. Every Tuesday and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, you can check that out on Facebook or YouTube. Um, it's really kind of a fun way to pick out some discs that you maybe wouldn't buy any other way other than winning them in a disc stack. So uh, FisherDiscGolf.com. Adding some more Innova. I know when I was talking to Levi, he said that was one of the things that he was really looking to do. Although we all know it's tough to get discs from anywhere right now. Uh, but they're putting some, some more Innova discs up there, uh, each week. Check out fisherdiscgolf.com. 
huge sponsor of the show. And Nate, for listening to the show, our listeners can get a little bit of a bonus, right? Yeah, use our code RUNIT10 for 10% off your first purchase at FisherDiscGolf.com and you get free shipping all the time. So it's great. I mean, those guys have really helped the show grow. If you, if you're enjoying the show, the easiest way to say thank you is to throw a little purchase their way next time you need a new disc. That's right. Using code RUNIT10 too. So now what you're not going to be able to find on Fisher Disc Golf is one of those highly sought after Sexton Firebirds. But running it with Nate Sexton is going to be giving away two Sexton Firebirds this month. And we announced how you can win the first one. And that's by visiting our friends over at Cab Coffee because they've done something kind of exciting with a, with a new blend. Yeah, we got our own coffee blend, the run it blend. Uh, it, mine, mine is in route. So I've not, I've not yet tasted it, but judging by how I've liked the other stuff they've sent, I'm sure I'm going to love it. But yeah, kind of a cool honor that they, you know, another way for them to support the show, make a little uh, coffee blend specifically for us. And uh, they, I think they made 200 bags for the first run of it, and uh, they're going fast. So if they're still available, get on it quick. That's right. All you guys have to do is uh, visit Cab Coffee Roasters. Make sure you use our code RUNIT10, and every purchase between now and April 14th, your name will be entered to win a Glow Sexton Firebird. And we're going to have another one coming up for our friends over at Fisher later on in the month. But right now, you want to get in on this one. It's really kind of a win-win. You get an awesome bag of coffee. You help out a really cool company. And you get a chance to get your hands on one of those Sexton Firebirds. You can't beat it. No, absolutely not. We're coming off of an amazing episode. We had Juliana on last week. Um, God, she told some great stories. You really kind of brought some of her statistics to light that maybe people weren't necessarily familiar with. I've had so much feedback about what a great episode that was uh, and how people didn't realize what her run of dominance is. What kind of feedback have you been hearing from the episode? I had somebody message me that was really nice that just said... Um they were really appreciative of the fact that we had just called Juliana one of the greatest players of all time, not one of the greatest women of all time. And I was, you know, I think that's that's how we roll here. I don't think gender comes into play, just winning. And, you know, when you win 107 out of 114 in a four-year stretch, you're in the club. You're one of the greatest of all time. <laughs> I mean, that's not possible. And she did. So, uh, yeah, one of the best players ever. It was really interesting to talk to her. So we were discussing how do we follow up that episode. And I think each week when we do this, I tell you, it's it's probably one that I'm the most excited for. And yet again, I'm not going to let our listeners down. I am so excited for this week's episode. When you messaged me and told me who you had locked in, uh, I was instantly excited. Nate, who are we running it with this week? We got a good one, man. We got three-time national tour winner, uh, burgeoning course designer, 10-time winner of Coolest Guy in Disc Golf, and that's unanimous. It's Mr. Kale Leviska. Hey, hey, hello, everybody. <laughs> 10 time. Yeah, Good 10 straight. That's what they told me, 10 straight coolest guys in disc golf. I mean, I didn't think that was possible either. Get putting, putting on a run for the ages. Looks like I made it, and I'm on with you guys. It's, uh, it's really great to be here with you guys. <laughs> I've, been, I've been seriously, you know, on the road the last, you know, four or five weeks, it's uh, it's it's really been nice listening to a lot of you guys' podcasts. You guys are doing great, so it's it's good to be on with you guys. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, man. And and yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, taking some time out of your day to 
come and record and uh, just looking forward to asking you a couple questions and kind of digging into your disc golf story a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, coming up after Juliana. It's going to be tough shoes to fill, but, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> well, man, I, I got my first question is real easy for me. And, you know, I don't mean to start off on a on a kind of an aggressive note here, but you got the preserve, these amazing courses that I can't wait to get out to. You're designing courses all over the place. You're driving the Tesla around. What I need to know, who who did you hire to follow me around and figure out all my dreams? And how did you figure out, how did you get them done so fast? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it's, you, I know you and I have had a lot of talks about the Tesla. And I know <laughs> you'll, probably be, you'll probably be rolling that around very soon. But, yeah, uh, man. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, like, I can't even... I guess it all has happened pretty quickly, but, um, yeah, the whirlwind that it took to make it all happen, especially with the preserve, I can't even, I don't even know where to begin with that, but yeah, everything, you know, a lot of, a lot of hard work by a lot of people and, and my dream of, of, of finally op- owning my own, you know, disc golf destination and, you know, somewhat of a, a country club and, and a preserve is something I've wanted to do for a long time and, and to be able to to actually pull that off last year, I you know, <laughs> it was such a whirlwind. I still can't believe it happened. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm as I've told you many times in person. I'm very envious. I, ho- I hope to get there one day. And and yeah, like I said, I'm so looking forward to coming out and seeing what you've got out there this summer because it was just hard to watch it on video. You know, I just wanted to be there and and uh, see what you've built because it looks incredible. But yeah. Well, well, and you know, like you were so great right when I had you know it kind of got out that I got the property you were just you know so gracious and awesome you know wishing me luck and encouragement on getting it going so I was I can't even tell you how happy I was when I saw that you were on the preserve championship list the registration yeah, list because I know uh you know I know you you know have a pretty uh you know you're not you're not up there touring as much and it meant a lot because I know yeah I can't wait to have you out here yeah man it was super high on my priority list it's it's going to be great I'm sure but yeah, so I, I kind of want to, I just kind of dig into everybody's PDGA history before these episodes, and you're a listener, so you know how it goes. But uh, I'm going to start you off. You joined the PDGA in 2004. You just didn't try amateur. You just went straight for, for open. <laughs> There's not a lot of people that have done that. How did, how did that happen? You must have been playing a little while and just not, hadn't done any tournaments, or at least not on the PDGA level. Yeah, I mean, I had been playing for a few years, like with my buddies and stuff, and you know, I my group of friends for some reason has always just bet money on pretty much everything. So <laughs> we, you know, disc golf was, was no different. We were always out there playing and just, you know, playing little five, $10 bets here and there. And I was beating them pretty handily. And I was, you know, thinking that at that time I had, I didn't really know much about a, a competitive professional scene. So when I found out that there's a tournament coming to my home course, I, uh, I was like, yeah, there's no way any of these guys are going to beat me. I'm beating my friends by like 10 strokes around. <laughs> so I'm going to go. Uh, so I, I still remember, Nate, you know, you remember Timmy Gill. He's like sure. a Minnesota legend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, st- I remember the story pretty well because he always tells me it. But we, uh, he was doing the registration for his event. And I walked up back when he was still to sign up the, the morning of. And, and he asked me, I told him I'd never played a tournament before. And he asked me what division I wanted to play. And I... I asked him, like, what are the divisions that plays for money? And he kind of, like, looked at me funny, and he said, well, only open pro plays for money. And I'm like, okay, well, then that's what I want to do. 
And I remember he, he kind of like tried to talk me out of it and say, you know, maybe you should try advanced. And I, uh, but I held strong and, and I just went straight for open. I just went for it. <laughs> and it, I mean, you even got some cash those first couple tournaments. So you clearly your, your side bets with the friends got you to a place where you weren't like totally out of your depth. You were obviously you're still new, but you weren't like That's- just getting crushed. Well, I mean, yeah, I wasn't getting crushed, but I was getting crushed by Timmy because I remember I played sure. with him that first round because he, he probably was like, who's this kid? So he put me in the same group as him. And, uh, that's when I realized very quickly that I was not the best player in Minnesota. <laughs> like I thought I was. <laughs> I had a similar kind of experience, just like, you know, starting in the game before the internet really was a big deal, you know, in like 2001 or so. 2002 and I can remember thinking like I'm kind of like the best guy in town like I wonder if I'm the best kid in the world you know and there was like Nate Doss you know like ripping it in pro and I had no idea but I had no idea you know and I was just like maybe I'm real I mean maybe I'm the best but you know just it's just funny how you're like well I beat everyone I've ever met so and you just don't really realize and then open your mind when you see a real pro exactly and that's how you know we're you know similar age started playing at similar time um yeah, it, it, I don't know if that would happen these days with, with no. how much awareness there is to the game. I think no way with, with what YouTube has done and, and, uh, social media. It's like, if you even like buy a disc, you, you, like, I, I, I think, I think I'm, did I already tell the story about getting recognized by the runner, Jarrett, on this podcast in my, in that had only been playing for three months? Yeah, you did. And it's hilarious that it yeah. was so shocking to you because you don't realize that you're a celebrity, Nate. Well, but three months. I mean, that's, that just tells the story of how, how quick people can figure that stuff out right now. But my first memory, I got to take it to my first memory of Kale. It was the 2005 USDGC and it was both of our first USDGCs. And we didn't play any rounds together despite you, you ended up only beating me by one shot. So we must have been kind of around the same groups, but I don't remember. I don't think we ever played together. I remember. See, being behind you, one spot behind you in the line for the checks, because this is, there was no PayPal back then. You had to line up. And I felt like as a newbie, we didn't really know that. So we were kind of pretty far to the back of the line, like for like to get to all the checks and get in the little trailer and sign your forms and get your money. And I just remember like, Hey man, this guy's about my age. And I, and for some reason, uh, this sticks in my mind to this day. I remember you were just wearing the biggest boots, like, like combat boots is what my memory tells me. And I could Coolest be, they, they could be getting bigger. They could be getting bigger in my brain every, like since back then. But I just remember this guy's got some big old boots on, man, this is crazy. But then, yeah, I just remember talking to you a little bit and getting in there. And yeah, for me, like the 900 something dollars like blew my mind. I don't know if it was similar to you, uh, similar for you in that, uh, in that moment. Yeah. Well, that's fine. I think I, I do remember wearing those. I think they were just the mid hiking boots, but yeah, I think I did have some clunkers back then. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what I was wearing. Maybe I was wearing big boots too, but I just remember thinking, oh, what, the, what are these boots? But man, this guy can play. He beat me. But well, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, yeah, so 2005, we, but that was both of our first USDGC. I, I qualified for that tournament by winning the Minnesota state championships. And that was like, I think that was actually like my first ever victory. Oh, and nice. so, and, and Timmy was like, you know, now you qualified for the U.S. championships. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even know that this tournament existed. I was like, let's do it. And he yeah, kind of took me, he, he kind of took me under his, his wing and, and I went down there and I remember just, that was, you know, that was my first taste. That event was my first taste of like the, the national competition. And that was pretty much, that was pretty much it for me. <laughs> I was yeah, hooked. man. 
Yeah, that was my first, like, big, big professional event, like, major. And I had a similar thing where kind of like Dave Feldberg and Avery Jenkins were kind of, like, chaperoning me around and, and showing me the ropes a little bit. But, yeah, man, that, I, I don't know why that stuck in my mind, but that's just what I remember of talking to you in that line. And, yeah, well, and some, well, some reason, funny. man, those it, boots made an impression. I don't know. <laughs> I probably had the big old cargo shorts, too, and the whole nine. Didn't we all? It was it was all it was maybe car, cargo off the course basketball shorts on the course for me. If I had well, to go to like a player party or something, I'm put I'm ripping the cargos. But if I'm on the course, you, give me like a, a Nike basketball short. I do remember that about you too, rocking like the Oregon State Beaver shorts. Yeah, and, man, for sure. It was a different hey, I time. Gotta, I, I gotta tell you, my first like I, I remember like you know running into you a handful of times over those years, but my first like real memory of you, can I share? Please. So it was like, like I said, we had had, you know, some interactions leading up to this, but 2009 world championships down in KC. Yeah. I remember, uh, I was, I was like hanging, like barely hanging on the lead card for that, those final couple rounds. And, and I remember this, you know, this was before like the PDJ live scoring and UDISC and all this. So we didn't know what everyone was shooting, but I remember that I knew that you were close to me and I wanted to make the final nine so badly. And I remember, like, you were in the group in front of me, and I remember just seeing you bang putts the whole round right in front of me. And I remember just being like, is this dude ever going to miss a putt? And I think I think somehow I, I ended up, like, holding you off by one stroke to make the finals. But I, I'll never forget that. I remember I remember just thinking that this guy is just unbelievable. Nice, man. He, yeah, that, that's, used that's to have, still used to, like, kind of put, used to putt on that, out on one foot back yep. at that time. Yeah, we, they called me the stork. For the one, the one footed putt. Not that the, we already had a different, more famous stork on this show, but they called that the stork putt anyway in Oregon. But yeah, man, I, I remember that round well and, uh, yeah, trying to charge back into there. And I think that's still my best world's fifth place. I don't think I, I cause I never made a final. You made two finals, if I'm not, uh, mistaken, right? Yeah, 2007 yeah, and 2009. I did. Yep. I did get, uh, I got third back. Yeah. Back in 07. And then, um, probably my most, heartbreaking moment was actually missing the finals in 2012 uh, by losing a playoff to Michael Johansson in Charlotte oh. to make the final nine. And I remember, oh, it was like a six-hole playoff. It was absolutely devastating. Do you think anyone has ever beaten Michael Johansson in a playoff in Charlotte, North Carolina? Oh, my gosh. It still pains me. I don't think anyone ever has. It's got to be. It would have to be some kind of record. If you could be, if you could beat him on home soil, I mean, geez. I remember I thought I had him like two times in the playoff and then he just kept hitting 50 footers on me. Oh gosh. Wow. But yeah, man, I was looking at the, uh, the stats and like you said, you know, we are about the same age room playing around the same amount of time. And I saw that, you know, I, I hit my first thousand rating September 2005, like right as, like right before going to USDGC and you hit yours December 2005, right after that USDGC. So kind of cool that like, you know, as we both kind of ascended to get near the top of the sport that we both kind of hit that thousand milestone, like within months of each other and kind of started playing around the same time. And have just kind of had a, had sort of similar careers in a way. You've been a little bit more of a road warrior than me and a little bit more, maybe I bet your, your trophy room's probably a little nicer. I got the, I got a nicer centerpiece with that one USDGC, but other than that, I think you probably got a, a got me on wins and everything, but I think pretty similar careers in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. We have, uh, that, that's cool that you, you saw that about the thousand rating because I, I figured it was about the same time. But yeah, we we have had a lot of parallel. Yeah, and the other thing I was thinking too that it's cool is that like I feel like we play 
Despite throwing a different line on almost every hole, we play like a very similar style in a weird way where I, I just feel like, you know, it's like uh, hitting gaps, staying in bounds, making putts, not necessarily bombing it so far. And I just feel like it's kind of cool how similar I feel like our approach is, despite the fact that like I'm throwing almost all forehands and you're throwing almost all backhands. And like we wouldn't we probably wouldn't fare very well if we had to switch bags and throw each other's discs. But in terms of like approach to the game. For people, for two people with really different skill sets, I feel like we approach it a lot, kind of really similarly. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I was thinking about that before I was going to come on today, and you know, yeah, we, you know, we both play a fair. I think we play a fairly conservative game, I would say, and we, uh, yeah, we, we kind of like to think our way through courses and think our way through tournaments, and but yeah, I can't. I mean, to, to call me backhand dominant i mean i I cannot throw a forehand off the tee so (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure man so take take us back to 2007 because that's that's only like a not even two years from that moment of us standing in that payout line and now all of a sudden you're taking third place at the world championships i mean what kind of expectations do you remember having going into that tournament and like how insanely out of the water did you blow them (laughs) Um, well, I definitely blew the expectations out of the water. I remember the the world championships was in Wisconsin that year. So it was, you know, about a six hour drive from my house. Um, being up at high bridge, it was like, you know, beautiful courses up in the Northwoods. Yeah. I drove and there I, too, but I, I remember it being more like 30 hours for me. <laughs> you did drive all the way. Yeah. We drove, we drove all packed into a little car. I remember picking up Christian Dietrich in Montana and driving a bunch of people. Yeah, definitely. But go on. Well, no, so I, I just remember, you know, I was, I think, you know, in 2007, I had just, I, I think I had just won D-Glow. I had just got my first national tour victory. Um, and then I had, you know, I had that, that incident with, with Ken Climo with the Majestic where him and I tied and. Yes. I, I ended up losing at a playoff, but I was like, you know, starting to get some, some pretty good finishes and getting some confidence up. And, but still, like, I, I remember. That the, the world championships just did not really seem within reach. I just, you know, I don't know. It just, it seemed like such a big thing that I wasn't very prepared for. And I remember, I remember like being, you know, up in the mix and that, that was back when Worlds was, you know, seven or eight rounds or whatever it was. But I remember, you know, getting about halfway through and I was just, you know, staying on lead card and playing pretty consistent and didn't feel like I was going to be going anywhere. But, um, Nate Doss and Marcus Kallstrom were just having, such an epic battle it seemed like they were just going back and forth for the entire tournament but i ended up long story short i ended up getting third place by probably about six or seven strokes and when i like when i i remember after the tournament was over i was thinking back on that being like man like you really probably could have taken a run at this if you were you know just a little bit more seasoned made you know just a few less mistakes and it kind of uh yeah it kind of was an eye opener that like you know you can make maybe make a run at one of these yeah man and you and you have i mean i feel like you've done exceptionally well in the majors like you know just kind of clicking through your history it's like a lot of like world's fifth usdgc fifth usdgc 10th you know like not a lot of clunkers it was it's like a lot of you know just maybe speaks to your preparation and you know when the moment's big kind of stepping up because it feel it, it seemed to me that's kind of what struck me it's like yeah sure he hasn't won a major but like man he's in the hunt Oh, time and time again at, at Worlds and USDGC. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate it. I definitely, you know, have a, a, a take, kind of take pride in the consistent consistency in my game. And 
you know, now I'm 37 years old and, you know, I just, I, I haven't really played a lot of majors every year. You know, I, I was never like playing four to five majors a year. I was kind of like playing world and sometimes USDGC, but now that I'm like, you know, getting up there in age and knowing that like my, my time to potentially win one of these is, is, is drawing, you know, somewhat close that I, I've, I've kind of got the itch to, to play as many as I can right yeah. now. For sure. Yeah, man. For sure. Yeah. That, I mean, consistency. How can I not bring up the, uh, the statistic that you always, you know, kind of make my day when you bring it out, the, the consecutive, <laughs> uh, cashing streak, uh, for MPO, uh, which you own right now is the, the longest, uh, active streak for a, a men's player. I don't know if there's, I, I don't know if anyone's run the number on the women's, but to have, have cashed in the most consecutive tournaments. And what are you up over 250 now or, or nearly there? Yeah, I think when when they did it at the end of last year, it was like 280. Okay, wow. So you might be almost 300. Isn't that insane? Yeah, <laughs> you know, when yeah. I when I think about that, and and I mean, it does you know speak to a lot about both of our games that that you and I are number one and number two. But when I think about that, I just I'm still just baffled. That's that's so many events and so many years. I can't even you yeah. know like you know especially as I get older and sometimes wake up with a sore neck or stiff back and to, to, to be able to finish every event even is, is something that I'm, I'm pretty happy about. Yeah. Same here. Never have to drop out from an injury or an illness or anything like that. And, but I'm, I'm definitely feeling the pressure, you know, I'm definitely, man, I don't want to blow the streak now. Like, geez, this is, this is a lot of years been going. Cause we both, I think the last time we missed cash was like 2009 or so, like for, for 2008. the 2008. Yeah. 2008. 2008. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, that's significant. That's, that's a long time. I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think King Climo probably did a little longer back in his heyday, but like, yeah, it's like, uh, I, I'm definitely, I definitely feel the pressure, especially with all the time off I've had with, uh, the pandemic. I, I, I need to get out there and stay sharp because I can't, I can't blow this streak. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> keep some, some pressure on you. I can't, I don't know that I can ever catch you if you keep cashing because you just play more tournaments than me. So it's a, it's a, t- it's tough, but. I want well, to, uh, want to get close. Let's take this into, let's both take this into the master's age. How about that? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, as long if I can make it there, that'd be that would be amazing. I think. I, I hope so. I hope so. But yeah, man, keep keep that coming because I love seeing those statistics. Well, and yeah, and like you said, I that how you feel the pressure. I mean, I'd, I I feel it very very heavily, especially at some of these like local tournaments when you start off a little slow and just like a little two round tournament yeah. or something. I There's not a lot of time about it. For I sure. feel like you never lose in Minnesota. I was looking at your PDGA, and I feel like in your in your hometown. And, and in the Minnesota area, there's like nothing but ones right down the, the list for you. So the pressure must not be that bad, Gil. Well, there, there are a lot of ones, but there's a lot of these, a lot of good kids coming up that are uh, capable of going pretty low. So it definitely keeps me, helps keep me sharp. Yeah, and there's more of them every day is kind of what I, what I always find. It's like every time I open, every time I show back up on the tour, there's some new kid who throws a 600. So it's tough. They're they're bombing discs these days. That's so true. But Nate, does it, does a part of you just like want the? I mean, sometimes I think like, man, it'd be kind of nice if this. If I didn't even have to think about the streak anymore, and <laughs> I could just. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want it to go. I don't know. It's got to end. It's got to end some cool way. I can't have it end just because I'm like trying my hardest and I didn't get there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want it to end. I'm I'm happy with no. the pressure for now. I got yeah, I got to yeah, keep fighting through it. But I definitely think about it, like a hardcore or 
um, you know, like an event like the Masters Cup coming up. I think there is, I heard there was no, nothing but thousand rated players. And, you know, then you're looking at a course like De La Viega, it's like things can get weird and, uh, you can get in big trouble. So I think that's going to be a tough cash. You know, I hope I, I hope I get in there and play well, but like if you have no, nobody but thousand rated players, I mean, the, the floor is pretty high. There's not no, uh, no pushovers in that entire field. That's crazy. That's got to be the first, is that the first event in history that does have that? I don't know. That's, I, I haven't checked. Like, I don't, I, that's just what I heard. I don't know. I haven't like gone and scoured the list, but it filled pretty fast. I think it's kind of a small field, like 72 maybe. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, looking to get in there. So yeah, that one's always, that's kind of a hit or miss tournament for me. Sometimes I'm playing well and I'm pushing in the top 10 and other times I'm like 30th and struggling. So I'm going to need it to be one of those top 10 type of years. Yeah, I think it will be. I feel like it's your the crafty game. That, I hope so. That, that course so. is for you. Well, cool, man. The next thing I kind of wanted to ask you about was just kind of some of your memories of the the nonstop disc golf tour. Like, how did you? How did that start? You got in the the rig with was it Schustrick and LeCastro and Feldberg? Yeah, the nonstop tour. Yeah, that was 2012. Um, yeah, that was. I remember we, you know, Feldberg. Felberg and I had kind of traveled around in Europe a few times. He had kind of showed me around and kind of like taught me how to travel over there. And I remember during the, the off season, like right after the 2011 season, he told me that he was going to get an RV and he wanted to, to do like a full season tour and was wondering if I wanted to do it. And, you know, I, I had like, you know, I'd been playing a bunch of tournaments and stuff, but I'd never like been on tour full time. And so, you know, when he asked if I wanted to be a part of that and he told me that Nico and Will were going to do it, um, yeah, I definitely just jumped at the opportunity to do it. And yeah, we, we, I remember he got the RV wrapped and we, we started in 2012 early at like Memorial in Vegas and all those. And man, that was, that was quite the time we, we hired, uh, we hired this, our film guy James to come with us and he was kind of filming our events and we were out there doing clinics and, we were teaching, we were, we were just traveling all over the place. We were even hosting tournaments and stuff. And yeah, that was, that was, that was a wild time in our lives. I remember, uh, yeah, we, we were having just a, we were having an awesome time. I think about, what was it, like eight weeks into it, you know, all, all the, those egos kind of in the, that compact place kind of started, uh, <laughs> to, to get on some people's nerves and, um, needless to say, say the, the tour got cut short because I think Felberg and Will and Nico were at each other's throats after about eight weeks. Wow. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, kind of, you know, paving the way for the, the modern way to be a professional, a big time professional, you know, with all the like events that come with it and the, the wrapped RV. It's like that hadn't really been done that much to that point. So I don't see how you could possibly say no to that opportunity, even though. It didn't last forever, and, and but I mean, yeah, if somebody comes knocking a, a big time player like Dave, a world champion, who's saying, "Hey, man, I got this RV. You want a spot?" Like, yeah, you got to kind of. That's kind of what happened with me and Macbeth a couple years later. You know, I, I felt like you know when he off, made the offer, it was kind of like, "Go talk to my wife." Like, I don't know how I say no to this. I gotta, I gotta give this this life a try. You know? Yeah, there's no way. And I remember, you know, I'd never, you know, just played disc golf for for months straight like that, and. I just remember after like three, four weeks, just thinking like how, how much easier the game felt and, and competition felt 
just being in that groove and like living it every single day and practicing and playing and and now obviously you know there's what 40 50 60 people doing living like this now and that's why obviously the competition keeps rising so much so much higher but yeah i remember that was that was probably like if i look at it like statistically probably the best season of my life just just playing being so immersed in it with those guys yeah that was that your you had two national tour wins right a a beaver state fling and and something else yeah and uh maple hill yeah 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 two kind of the most like man if you could pick two like i feel like that's two of the most iconic events we have in the sport yeah yeah especially beaver state fling was that that's one of the most memorable victories of my life i just i've always been just in love with that place in love with milo and yeah, that was that's definitely one of my my most fondest memories in disc golf is, is taking that one. Yeah, for sure. We better consider yeah, circling back to this RV before I get. Oh yeah, that's messages. true. That's true. Yeah, you know, you probably know the drill. You've heard a couple episodes. We we need we we deal in RV horror stories. The fans love them. So I don't know if it was nonstop. I don't know if it was your new rig. We got to hear just the the worst night you ever had with the RV. Well, I. I do own an RV now, but I've only had it for about seven, eight months, but I, it, it has to be mine just because I was so excited. I, I, I've been looking for an RV for a couple of years and kind of when COVID hit, the, the prices on RVs just kind of skyrocketed, but I found one of my neighbors all of a sudden just put a sign on his in his driveway. So I went and, you know, ended up driving it and making a deal with him, but. This guy just takes meticulous care of everything. He's got, you know, records of every time he's filled up fuel, everything. So wow. I'm thinking, like, all right, this, this RV is tip top. Nothing, nothing wrong is going to happen. And I remember I, uh, I got it back in my, to my driveway and I'm like showing my wife and a couple of her friends how like the slide goes out and, <laughs> and we all just think it's so cool. And then I'm like, all right, I, like two days later, I, I was leaving to go, uh, I don't remember where I was going, but I, I go to put the slide back in and just nothing's happening. So I haven't owned the thing for two days and I'm already replacing the hydraulic system. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, but, but as far as like driving it, I mean, I just, I guess I didn't realize that the thing is like a sail when you're driving through like 30 yeah. or 40 mile per hour wind. It, it's it's sketchy. It's sketchy for sure. That the slide related, that reminds me bonus RV horror story coming from, uh, from when I had my own RV and I had the family in there. And this isn't really that bad of a horror story, but it was a boneheaded moment that wasted like an hour of my time because I had not just done a sextant shootout, like in the middle of nowhere kind of feeling Montana, like at a private course. And everyone kind of left and we're like packing up and getting ready to go down the road a little more. And I had my slide out and I had the engine running or something i was like heating it up because it was kind of getting cold and we had the baby Coraline was your baby then and i and i had the engine running or or something and and smartly which i should have thought when the engine's running it like disables the ability to use the slide in or out so i spent like you know 30 40 frantic minutes like the slide's broken the slide's broken but it was because i just didn't turn the the main engine of the rig off so dumb moment and and was pretty scary because I was like this thing's new I'm gonna be stuck here I can't drive it like this and yeah learn the hard way with the RVs yeah it's intimidating there's so many moving pieces and parts to learn about it's pretty intimidating yeah man the next thing I wanted to touch on uh, I remember you telling me um, 
And and there was a time when you were like taking a lot of trains because of this, I think. That you you had like a really like harrowing flying experience that like grounded you from flying for like years. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that is. I remember uh Yeah, it's a good memory. You remember everything, don't you? I try. Boots, flights, that's kale, man. That's kale in a nutshell. No, yeah. I Growing up, I used to travel all the time. We used to fly for vacation or whatever. I had zero fear of flying. I actually kind of enjoyed everything about it, going to the airport, just everything about it. And it was actually in, it was in 2012, I remember the exact flight. I was actually flying home from the nonstop tour just to, just to go home for a few weeks. And so it was like my second flight is from St. Louis to Minnesota. So it was only maybe like an hour and a half flight. And I, the the pilot like warned us when we got on that it was going to be, you know, extremely turbulent or whatever. But I, again, I, you know, I still had no fear. I didn't care at all. And about like, I don't remember, but shortly after takeoff, it was, I mean, we're, we're talking, I don't even know if turbulence is the right word for it. We're dr- dropping hundreds and hundreds of feet dropping and, and popping back up and like it was to the to the point where you know there's like women and children just screaming and crying it was just oh it was so terrifying I could that's still just crazy being there it was horrible and i remember just like just begging for my life and just being like please just put me back on the ground i will never fly again if you just get me home please and so yeah it kind of it kind of messed me up a little bit i, I mean you know I understand that it's kind of a irrational fear, you know, but effort. I, it's something I don't, I don't enjoy. It doesn't know sound irrational to me. It's, it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's irrational. I mean, I guess the, the only way you could say it's irrational is like, well, if you look at the math, like not that many people die on planes, but it's like, dang. I mean, if you, if you're like living this, you know, sort of nightmare situation, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I totally get it, you know? And then I remember like after that, it was like, yeah, you're coming to the Beaver State fling by train, right? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I did take the train a couple of times, uh, out to Oregon, but no. And I just, I just meant that it's irrational because I, like I was so scared of it. I was like, you know, reading up on it and, you know, apparently turbulence isn't what, you know, is going to make a plane crash. Sure. So, so that, that's kind of what I meant by it. But yeah, it's just, I, there was, there was probably three or four years in a row where I just like, yeah, I was not flying. I didn't go to Europe for a few years because of it. It was just pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty serious fear I had. And I eventually, I eventually got over it. Um, yeah, I met my wife about six years ago and flying with her and just like kind of being calmed with flying with her and then doing it a handful of times here and there. And now I'm kind of back to a place where I can tolerate it. I still don't enjoy it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That's all it would take, you know, one one really terrible experience to kind of open your eyes to what's going on. It definitely, it even kind of, I got a flight coming in a couple of days. It makes me a little like, oh, geez, hope it'll be, hope it's smooth, you know? I'm sure it will well, be, did, but. Did you hear what happened on the, with the Utah Jazz? Yes, that they hit the birds ago? and they were, like, the engine was, like, on fire and the players were, like, thought they were done. Yeah, and Donovan Mitchell, who's, like, the star player, apparently has a, he already had a serious fear of flying, so he refused to get on the next flight and like missed a couple games because of it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can understand it. Look out the window and you see the engine on fire. Like, what are you going to think? Like, oh, it's probably going to be fine. No, you're probably your your brain goes to the worst possible. That's got it. That must have been terrifying for sure. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't, I don't know if you guys can hear this, but I'm sitting in a complete hailstorm right now all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, I do hear a little bit. Nice. Yeah, so I apologize. Literally, there's, we're, we're talking like golf ball size hail on top on the roof of my car, so sorry about that. Wow. I hope that's okay. Jeez, Minnesota style. It's a work, it's a work truck, so. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, the next thing I wanted to touch on was the 2016 Minnesota Majestic, because for me, that's a very memorable event. You were the you were the assistant TD, and uh, I started out with like the, one of the best rounds of my life, and uh, and like pretty you know what I thought innocently. They Terry Miller's asking me like what I thought of the course, and it was this a really famous course called Blue Ribbon Pines, which is fantastic. And I said something to the effect of like, well, you know, I think it might be playing a little soft because you know it shot just shot seventeen under. And, uh, you know, I don't know why we're playing 22 holes because it has, there was like a hole that's like basically a jump putt off the tee or whatever. Yeah. But I, but I pissed some people off, uh, apparently because then, then people were not happy with me. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, you know, are, are they still mad at me or you think I can come back? Has it, has it been smoothed over? You know, you, you are obviously beloved everywhere, but definitely in the state of Minnesota. But I don't know if you're ever going to live that one down. People probably be saying, People still always say course is soft when referring to pretty much any good score that happens at a tournament up here still because of that. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's taken on a life of its own so much because, like, when I when I've watched back the uh, the interview that it comes from, it doesn't seem like much, but I can kind of understand. You know, like I, I get where they're coming from. Like, hey, man, that's like the you know. But all I meant by it was like, oh well, well, why don't we just play eighteen holes and cut out some of the you know hundred and fifty footers. But, uh, but overall, I mean, obviously it's a beautiful property. It's like, I would, I would love to own something even half as nice as, as that amazing place. That's, uh, one of the, one of the true, like first or earlier, like private, amazing disc golf venues. And I still remember that round that you came in with. That's, I don't know if that round will ever get beat up there. That was unbelievable. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I, I mean, I guess when you're in the zone, I don't have a lot of memories of like the throws. But I remember, yeah, just just playing really well and coming in and be like, yeah, I'm probably winning. And like, wow, yeah, I guess I am. That was I really killed it, I guess. But ultimately, Ricky Wysocki did me in. I kind of did myself in by missing one of the shortest pressure putts of my whole life that will haunt me to my grave, I'm sure. But uh, but Ricky, I mean, Ricky was just bragging about that on a he did an end of a live with Jeff, and they asked him one of his most memorable moments. And he said, well, it was he, sick. He said it was Nate, <laughs> Nate missing that putt. And I, I immediately commented. I said, I'm telling, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, it was pretty crazy. I had like a pretty much a tap in. I missed. And yeah, then we went another little lap. We were doing a playoff, like these same holes over and over. And, uh, and then he, he went OB and I'm like, okay, I got him now. And then he, we both went OB, but he went OB way shorter than me. So he's got like a 60 footer or something to just to, like, if he misses it. Then I have like a 25 footer to beat him or there's no way I'm losing. And then he just made it and I just missed another putt, like 25 at least. It wasn't a tap in, but it was well earned by him. I mean, he played fantastic, but definitely one of those ones that I will remember for a long time. And I remember Kale was one of the TDs and I remember enjoying the time for sure. But then, yeah, I definitely, I definitely not going to live that one down. It seems like, cause I definitely see it, see it all the time. Like, oh yeah, it's pretty soft, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, I guess it was. If I'm. If I tore it up, I, I, I kind of lean into it, really, because it's like, yeah, I guess, yeah, sure, it was. <laughs> you know, if, if, if people are shredding it, that's okay. It doesn't mean it's not fun. It's just soft. Is there a picture of Nate in the clubhouse? Like, don't let this guy in. Like, you, you see him, like, scores. <laughs> like, this guy writes bad checks. Don't. Is there a, is it, Nate's going to have to get the Groucho Marx sunglasses and mustache next yeah, time. Yeah, I need a disguise. 
No, everyone wants Nate back in Minnesota. Everyone's pumped. He's coming. But no, Nate, I, I remember that playoff so well. Cause I remember that was the first year of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. And, you know, yeah. I was so proud of the, of the Minnesota crowd that we had there cheering you guys on. That was, that was just it an was epic fun. finish. That was crazy. It was fun. Uh, I hope, I hope to do it again. That it was, it was really great. Well, cool, man. I feel like, uh, the, the, the last thing I really want to talk to you about before we get to the fan questions is just simply the preserve, like some of the stories behind, uh, how that, I know it was kind of a whirlwind thing. You've told me privately some of it, but yeah, just like so incredible. You're working on a third course at the moment. Yeah, we are. We, um, so yeah. So, I mean, for those that, that don't know, we, there was, a, there was a beautiful golf course that, that kind of went up for sale in 2019 that I, that, me and a couple of people were looking at and essentially the deal had fallen through over in 2019 and then 2020 happened and essentially we were playing the, the first few events of the year when COVID hit and I was literally on my way home from Waco, you know, after that event got cut short and kind of the whole season was up in jeopardy and the owner of the golf course property reached out to me because whatever deal he had worked on kind of fell through and he was pretty desperate to to get it to us. So just like literally as I'm leaving Waco, driving home back to Minnesota, you know, th- this, this thing kind of, I realized it's about to happen. And then, and I finally am all of a sudden going to have the time to, to make it happen. And so, yeah, with, it, it was, it was unbelievable. We, I came home and because of COVID, there was a bunch of people up in Minnesota, a bunch of friends that were, you know, getting laid off and kind of like temporarily out of work. So all of a sudden, you know, for, for three weeks straight, I have 10, 15 people up there just busting with me. And we literally built two just awesome courses in like three weeks. It was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. And, and so we, you know, so I went from like mid-March, you know, thinking I'm just going to play a full competitive season. I already had my Europe trip planned. I had, you know, everything planned. And now all of a sudden, you know, a month later, we're about to open up our own like private disc golf complex so just the way everything happened was just you know it was so wild yeah and it, i mean if, if if for any listener that hasn't watched probably most of you guys have seen the jomas video or seen some videos but yeah get on there check this out because it's a it's like when i when i saw the first videos i was just kind of like no way that it's this nice like you know like it's just an like all the water that you have and being right there on the mississippi and like it's it's pretty amazing it and, is. I, and I, mean, I haven't even you know, been there. And I, that's coming from a guy who's only seen videos. Well, I can't wait for you to see it in person this year. But, but the, the way that it all, you know, went down and then, so as, as the, the tour was trying to kickstart back up and then the kind of the West Coast swing got canceled. So Jeff Spring, you know, I'd kind of been in his, his year a couple times, but I was kind of talking about 2021, 2022, telling him that I got this property and that. Eventually, I want to bring the pro tour here that I could see, you know, thousands of spectators here. And I was in his ear and, you know, once, once the, the Portland events got canceled, he reached out and was like, you know, do you think we can pull this off like next month? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I, I think we can. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> and I did. And, and to Jeff's credit, he was so great about everything. I, he was very, very nervous about it because. You know, this is an event that never existed at a course that didn't even exist. He was, he was very worried about it. So he and, uh, Evan both flew into Minnesota just to like check up on the place, just to make sure that I wasn't like, you know, pulling, yeah. <laughs> pulling their leg on this thing. Yeah. And, uh, they did their due diligence and, and we were able to pull it off. It was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. 
Yeah, and it, I mean, I just was on the phone with Jonathan Jomez Gomez, you know, from uh, Jomez Pro Fame, and he was just telling me like that he's so excited to be there and he couldn't miss it, and he's trying to go to less tournaments and and delegate, but the preserve is like number one for him, and yeah, like. He he just loved it, and he said the same thing. I like, can't wait for me to get out there and check it out. And yeah, so looking forward to it as as much as I'm looking forward to anything all year because you know I I love coming back and playing the same tournaments over and over. But you know, and and those are really special venues. But yeah, to see it, to get to go play a new one, and just to be like a you know a friend's like dream being realized. It's like like going down and and uh, doing commentary in Bend lately for the DGPT and just seeing Nate and Val like doing it what they dream to do you know it just makes me smile so big so i know that's going to happen when i get to see you and your element at your place that you built you know it's just fun just fun to see it happening it is i I can't wait for you to be there man um yeah it's and i think one of the one of the coolest things about it that i think everyone enjoyed the most as far as like the touring players and stuff was that it's just everyone kind of staying on site and you know, people, it was, it was like 90 degrees for the tournament last, last year. So everyone after every round was swimming in the river. And that's like exactly what I, me and my friends do when we're up there. To, so, but like see, you know, all my peers up there, like enjoying it for the same reasons that, that we all do. It was, it's just pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. But yeah, Jared, I, I'm sure we got a, a big old bucket of fan questions for Kale. If you got some time, Kale, we probably, we can probably get you for a couple more minutes and and see what the fans want to know yeah of course the hail will stop so we're live perfect perfect did we ever get some fan question submissions for this one um this is really one of our um our more trafficked posts so they they love you kale um i I think i'm going to start with what maybe is my favorite one uh this one came in on facebook from mark nathman and he asked, uh, Kale, when you got your doctorate of smooth, did it come with an actual diploma or is that just like an honorary thing? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know who coined that phrase this year, but it's definitely sticking. I'm getting a lot of messages with that. I, I get a kick out of it, but, um, I think maybe Luke Humphreys is the one that gave me it. So I'm not the actual, I want the actual certificate. So I'm going to ask Luke for one. Yeah. He's got to be able to print something up. Yeah, in the age of the internet, you can you can get anything. I, I can assure you. Um, let's see here. We've got uh, Brian Voss also from Facebook. He says, "I'm new to Prodigy, but recently switched my bag over because I fell in love with it fast." Any advice for a rookie Prodigy player? Any advice for a rookie Prodigy player? I mean, I would have to say that I the disc that I believe in the most is, is the M4. I just love. I just love that mid-range. It's a nice, understable, easy-to-throw, glidey disc. And uh, if you're playing in, in any woods, I definitely recommend, you know, having having a great hyzer flip game. It just, for me, it makes the wooded lines a lot easier being able to, to flip something up like that. So, um, so yeah, I guess, I guess throw the M4. Maybe my, my signature putter, too, the P Model S, which I'm just loving. So, but I, I appreciate, I appreciate the love, buddy. We got, uh, from the email, um, came in from Creekside Disc Golf. What advice would you give someone who just opened their own course? I recently designed and opened a small nine hole, 18 pad course in Stafford, Virginia called Creekside. Any advice would be appreciated. You know what? And good job getting a plug in for your course in your question. Well played. 
That's awesome. Um, well, the guy's obviously passionate if he's got his own property. So I would, I would just urge him to, to just do the, the small things, you know, like give each whole character and, and, and just make it as beautiful as you can. Plant flowers, plant pollinators, get, get as much animal and, and, and everything that you can out there and just, uh, and just try to make it as fun as you can for, for everyone that comes out. And then, you know, once you get people there, don't take that for granted, you know, try to, try to go above and beyond to make sure that everyone has a blast and, and show everyone that you appreciate it. And when you, when you kind of like put out that good energy, people want to, people want to support that. Absolutely. Um, Jarrett from Buffalo asks, how did Prodigy all come about and what exactly was your role in the manufacturer getting started? Well, Jared, that's a great question. Um, he always it, comes with it, fire. He does, the hot <laughs> fire. I've been hearing it. <laughs> um, Prodigy came about, uh, again, it was 2012, about the same time as the nonstop tour. You know, there's a, there's a group of us that were, I personally was sponsored by Discraft at the time. I had been sponsored by Discraft for about eight years. And, you know, I had, we had all been playing for a long time. We were, you know, we were doing a lot. We were putting a lot of time in and we just kind of felt that the, the, the top level of the professional game wasn't necessarily being compensated like what they should from their, from the sponsors. Like we felt like we were doing a lot for the brands and, and then also, you know, we, I remember just having the, the dream of wanting to, to, to start making our own discs and start, you know, try, trying to build something for ourselves kind of because, you know, we saw, how successful that the brand was and we kind of wanted to to see if it would work for ourselves so it was a it was a large group of us and you know 2013 happened and a, a, a lot of things happened to make it work but all of a sudden you know we had you know 10 to 12 of you know very good professionals in the disc golf game all kind of kind of jump into this new company that just really uh it really created like a wave in the disc golf the disc golf like timeline is a kind of a paradigm shift because I feel like, you know, since then the compensation for players has, has gotten better pretty much every single year since then. So I'd like to think that, you know, at, at for the top professional level, it did a lot for a lot for the pros. I, I think it did. I think it, uh, you know, I think it's amazing to see how far we've come since those days, because that was like, the biggest earthquake in, in my disc golf kind of professional disc golf memory, you know, when that happened was like, Whoa, no way. You know, like it was this big surprise announcement kind of. And yeah, I think definitely push the envelope. And I can certainly respect it. I, you know, it wasn't that long ago where I realized I wanted to hear more, more disc golf stories and find out more about the golfers. And I was like, I think I know how I can get this done. <laughs> I'm just going to have to go in and do it myself. And, uh, that's why I reached out to Nate and said, we, we need this show. We, we need it. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's awesome that you guys were, were able to do that. Um, Evan asks on Facebook, I'm from Wisconsin. What do I need to know before visiting the preserve? Ooh, what did you need to know? Um, I would say bring your swimsuit up here. Uh, bring, bring some backup this that you might not care so much about because we do have, a lot of ponds and the Mississippi River there, and at the end of the the season last year, after only being open for about seven months, we had thousands of discs in the lost and found. So 
um, throw away from the water. You can always do that. And uh, oh, uh, oh, really? Well, <laughs> I mean, we we designed the course so that there's always spots to bail out to, but people like to try to buy bait off a little bit, a little bit too much. So yeah. what you're trying to say is it's not soft. <laughs> um, the course is not soft. No. All right. All right. Nobody. Cool. We'll we'll see. I'm gonna try. It. I'll just, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, had a, uh, a fun, a fun question coming from the email from, uh, Shane Ryan. Um, he's also, uh, a Minnesotian. Is that, is that proper? Is that Minnesotan? Just so. Minnesotan? Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, it's funny. I got, a, I got a few requests to, to get an oh yeah out of you. So, uh, whoever sent that in just, just got that. Um, are there, uh, are there any innovative ideas you think you can bring to your course to better the disc golf experience? And as the owner, is there anything that you want to implement to, to give a better player experience while on your course? Well, I just think that, you know, you, you see in golf these, these unbelievable properties and, and just an unbelievable player experience for people, you know, that can go in, you know, play around, get a nice meal after maybe their, you know, maybe their families can be at the pool. And I just feel like, you know, in disc golf with, with, with how impactful and how special our game is, like, you know, we disc golfers deserve something like this. So I, I really, you know, not that I want to create like a country club where it's like exclusive only for members, but that's kind of like what we're trying to do here is, is create something that, that disc golfers deserve something that's, that, that has never been done before that, that we all a place that we would all love to go a place that we'd all love to play so you know everything that we do here i'm I'm trying to kind of think out of the box because i just don't know if it's been done before like this like you know we're we've, we've been open for like 12 months and we're already going to go for our third course because i just want to i just want to keep having something new for people that come out and play so i don't know i think I, i'm just trying to create something that's that's worthy for for our special our game is and how much it's done for me personally, I guess. Cool. Um, Eric Sterner asks in the email, uh, he says he loves the company logo. I guess he's probably referring to, to airborne. Um, and he wants to know, uh, how did you choose that logo? Um, we, when I came up with airborne, it was like the same year that we had launched prodigy. And I essentially was just trying to like create a, a brand to to promote Prodigy. Okay, so I I didn't really have a business plan or anything, and we uh we rented a little like retail space and opened up our own shop, and it just said Airborne on it. I just like the name. And one day we were, I was sitting at my over at my artist's house, and we were kind of brainstorming ideas for some like shirts and hats, and we were out on his porch, and the, those helicopter seeds from the maple tree were just falling all over us, and it just like clicked to me all of a sudden that it looked like a perfect symmetrical A and we went right inside right then and like he drew it up and, and, and uh, that was, it's, it's been that ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It really is a, it really is a cool logo. Um, I did have a, uh, a question came in from uh, Rudy Jacobs from Instagram um, he would like to know what you do to keep the rust off during the off season since you live in such a cold place. 
He's from the Chicago area, uh, and he said this winter really took a toll on his game. Yeah, it, it definitely takes its toll. I, I always like try to, you know, play like a warm up event before like Vegas because it's, you know, it's one of the biggest events of the year, and we're out, we're coming off like a five or six month winter. It seems like at that point, but I guess just like staying active. Um, you know, our winters are very harsh, but there's still a lot to do. I, I love snowboarding. Um, I love just going out and hiking in the woods. I just try to, even on the coldest days and, you know, if we get a couple feet of snow, those are the days I like try to make sure I get all bundled up and get outside and just stay active. And I kind of, I kind of like, you know, growing up, I would never just like play, I played all different sports, but I never just play one sport all year round. So I kind of try to like take my winter off and like use it as a time to like kind of refresh and kind of reset and, and get the batteries charged. And, and so then, like, even though I'm rusty when I come out in Vegas and Arizona and stuff, my, you know, just me being so pumped to be out there and competing and playing again, kind of like, you know, kind of takes over for some of that rust, I think. It looks like you're always having fun. And it never looks like you're not having a, a great time out there. Now, being from Minnesota, have you ever tried the, the ribbon on the on the disc trick and, and playing in snow. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, uh, I, that's that's funny because I do a podcast with a pro and I asked him and he said, uh, "Yeah, I don't know if that works. I just don't play in the snow." So oh, I'm, if I'm I, if I had snow, I'd probably try, but I don't. <laughs> it it definitely works and it actually looks pretty cool when it's you know when it's f- flying and trailing behind your disc. But you you know there, there's sometimes when the snow gets so deep where you almost have to do something like that, otherwise it's you're not going to find it but i i used to do that all the time honestly i'm kind of ashamed to say but as i get older my my winter rounds keep going down and down but um yeah the the ribbon on the disc trick definitely works kel you're killing me this episode i'm 37 i don't feel old you you keep saying as you get older as you're getting up there in age i was playing with a, with someone this weekend who's 32 and he said to me uh you know, uh, Jared, for being, you know, a little bit of an, an older guy, got started kind of late. I went, a little bit of an older guy? What's going on right now? No, and I, sh- I should clarify, I definitely do not feel old, but I've been playing disc golf for over half my life now, so it, it just, my, my disc golf career feels like it's it's starting to, like, stack up a little bit. That's all I meant by it. Sure. Okay, good. So we're still young. We're We're young guys. Oh, yeah. You know, that's it. Where are my cargo shorts at? I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> I can't. I can't handle this. Um, I'm getting out the boots, Nate. Yeah, man, get those boots. Those things get, worked. You want to know why? You want to know why everybody had those cargo shorts? Is because Old Navy would give every 18 year old who could steam a mirror a credit card, and it was just like <laughs> cargo shorts and polar fleeces, man. Let's make it happen. Um, I think that's how. I think that's how we all got started. Um, <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think we took up plenty of your time, and I know you're sitting in your car um, to find a good spot to get this. So we certainly appreciate it. And uh, about I don't know, probably a hundred different comments through Instagram and Facebook, and in the email of people that didn't ask questions but just said, "Wow, so excited for this one." Uh, even uh, Innova's Jeff Panis commented and said, "How can you not be a fan of Kale?" Um, and I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that you, that you can't, you have to be a fan because like I said, uh, it's exciting to watch you and, uh, and it looks like you're always having a great time when you're out there playing. Uh, Kale, this is usually the part where 
I let our guests plug whatever they've got going on, websites, social media accounts, if you're going to be doing a signing somewhere, anything that you need people to know so they can follow up on you and Prodigy and everything that you got going on. Where can they find you, man? Well, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, honestly, the only thing that I have going on right now that's taking up all my time is we're we're opening up our third course up here at the preserve. So I, I announced like a couple of weeks ago that we'd have it open by April 10th. And I kind of wish I would have pushed that back because <laughs> April 10th is coming up real quick. And uh, but we're, we're going to make it happen. But I'm just, you know, all my energy is kind of getting poured into the preserve right now. We just we finally opened up back to the public last week and had a beautiful opening weekend. So I just want to, uh, yeah, I guess just thank everybody who's come up and thank, you know, people like you, Nate, who have, you know, given me so much encouragement, like in this dream and, and, uh, yeah, it's been a fun ride and, and we got a lot more in store for everybody. Yeah, man, you're just getting started out there. It's, there's so much, so much still going to happen. It's, it's exciting just to think about. Yeah. It, it, it's really, really cool to be out with you guys. I was a little bit nervous because, like I said, I've been listening to all your podcasts. I missed the last few with, I think you had Juliana and Stork and. Yeah, man. And who else They're still up there. They're still waiting for you next time you got a long oh, yeah. drive. I'm ready. But, uh, but yeah, seriously, guys, thank you guys so much. It was great. No, no, thank you, man. And, uh, and I look forward to, to seeing that course at the preserve and, uh, and getting, you know, hey, listen, I've been working on my game to get out there with the pros. And I'll tell you, you should see how smooth I can carry a bag. So if you guys know, anybody, um, no, Kayla, it was, uh, it was, it was an honor. And like I said, I was really excited to have you on and, uh, I look forward to getting you back on and, uh, and telling us a little bit about how it went after the course is open and, um, with everything rocking and rolling out there. So, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you guys. Nate, I can't wait to see you at the preserve, buddy. Yeah. Are you coming to Kansas? I'll be there. Yeah. All right. Sure. I'll, I'll be there. I'll see you there. Sounds good, bud. All right, man. Have a good one. Well, Nate, that was an amazing conversation with Kale. I really would have liked to have kept him on longer, but um, he's having a tough time getting reception out there working uh, and the preserve. And he's kind of hopped in the work truck and drove around until he got enough bars up. And uh, he even dealt with some hail coming down. So we, uh, I think we got a really good chat out of him, but we might have left a little bit of meat on the bone to get him back in the future. Yeah, it's going to be tougher and tougher, though, because I just feel like that 11th coolest guy in the game award is is almost wrapped up already. I mean, he's going to be a tougher and tougher get uh, as an interview, I think, as he keeps stacking these trophies. We're going to have to step up our game in Malaysia, and once we hit number one, I think that we'll, we'll be able to get him back. Yeah, how can he say no at that point? You don't say no to the number one of anything. No. No, absolutely not. Um, so yeah, really, uh, really a cool conversation with him. Uh, lots of big things happening here on running it with Nate Sexton. Nate, you just keep lining up bigger and bigger guests. Um, I'll tell you, I was actually at my local disc shop today. Um, we've got a really cool shop here, um, Spartan Discs in Buffalo. And, and eventually when COVID's done, um, we're going to get you to Buffalo for an event and you're going to meet, uh, Nicole and Kevin because dude, they're doing really cool things for, uh, uh, for the disc golf here in Buffalo. Like you lose a disc at a course, you could take it there. They hang on to it for you. And I was in there today and Kevin's like, yeah, man, he's always got the show up on the shop. And I said, yeah, you know, we've got kale coming on and a, a kid picked up his head and he went, are you Jared or? And I went, 
yeah. And he goes, Oh my God, I'm a fan. So it was, uh, it, it was really pretty cool. And, uh, and I just like to see people that are doing things in, in communities. You know, Buffalo, we're not a big community here, but, uh, we got some, we got some cool people doing some cool things. And, uh, and it was just neat to, to be recognized by, by somebody in their shop. And they said, you know, I'm a huge fan. I'm a big Nate Sexton fan. He had a, an Innova collared shirt on. So he was getting ready to go out and play in a fancy shirt. And, uh, it was just kind of neat, man. Yeah, man. And it will be easy to get me to Buffalo. I, I think I've mentioned it on the show before. I got tons of family there. My parents are from the Buffalo area. So yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there soon. When, whenever we can get this all approved and, uh, and do everything safely and responsibly, I'll be there and do an event. It'll be really fun. Yeah. And they just, uh, they just opened up here big time in New York for, uh, for vaccinations. They basically just said, okay, anybody over 30, can now have one. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting them done quick here in New York state. So hopefully we get a chance to get you out here and, uh, and, and do something fun for, for the Buffalo fans because they're really enjoying, uh, this show, um, as is everybody, but you know, uh, we both have some, some ties here to the community. So really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's great, man. Young guys like you and me over 30, you know, we can, Finally get going. I think Washington is uh is two weeks away for me. For then it's everyone over sixteen. So I'm my my wife is helping me out. I'm getting try to get up close as first in line as I can be. You know for uh, get get uh, all my ducks in a row to get signed up for an appointment. But yeah, really excited for that. And yeah, next week's gonna be awesome. We're 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 gonna we're gonna have the hottest player in the world on the show. So you know, watch out for Ricky Wysocki. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, he uh, he cost me a lot of strokes this week because I said, you know what, I'm just going to start firing putts at the basket just like Ricky does. It's harder and, uh, than it looks. I mean, he makes it look he makes it look impossibly easy. But yeah, man, I, I, you know, maybe he'll tell us on the show. Yeah, yeah, and I even I even have a pig that I use, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to fire this thing at the basket as hard as, and then I'm you know I'm just nowhere near the basket, and it's. Um, yeah, I actually had to, I actually had to take off my shoes, my socks and my pants today and, uh, and go like knee deep in to, to go get the pup, the pig. But you know what? I also feel unnecessary pressure from people on the course. And it's because of this show, Nate, I'm there, I'm lining up my putt, I'm looking at it and they're like, well, you're, you're running it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna lay this up. I can, I can assure you. So, uh, so now I'm like kind of, I'm kind of on the hook for that. So, um, I appreciate all of our fans. I think everybody's going to be looking forward to, to having Ricky on. Make sure you check out our incredible sponsor at fisherdiscgolf.com. You guys have until April 14th to be entered in that Firebird giveaway by purchasing a bag of coffee from Cab Coffee Roasters. And, uh, Nate, you know, there's a, there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of players and a lot of stuff going on right now. And, you know, I, I feel like maybe some of them are, are kind Kind of laying it up, but us, man, you don't own three courses and get to zipping around in a Tesla by laying it up. I got to run it from here on out if I'm ever going to live that kale life. And you're going to, we're going to be running it. Hey, you know what? I don't know if you saw YouTube video, Simon, he was buzzing around in Paul's McLaren. So I'm just I'm saying, on my way. I'm on my way. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.